Welcome back to another hour of Scott Shower. This is Noah. And this is Jesse. All right. Episode 80. No, 90. 90 80, the 90. big nine zero. Nine zero. Okay. Wow. I almost screwed it up because last week was 89. <laughs> <laughs> 89, dude. This is 99, dude. I don't know if that's the same. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Plus 20. That sounds like a giant All right. Well, Bible. this is, uh, I guess this is, this is our Thanksgiving uh, episode here. So you are, uh, you brought uh, two uh, big guns here from the Delmore. We got uh, the Delmore 14 Bam. or the Delmore Alexander the third. Um, and you're going to flip a coin here and we'll see which That's one right. we will actually be drinking this evening. Uh, from there, we'll go into our shout outs and get it togethers. And we'll follow that up with our uh, restaurant review of the uh, the this uh, like this this gem of a restaurant that uh, you can't find anywhere called the Olive Garden. <laughs> it's perfect for Thanksgiving, <laughs> right? You definitely see tons of veterans and Indians going there. <laughs> and then we have our uh, smarter challenge being um, the best of uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, just really. You know, watching a couple movies, seeing what we like, doing a little bit of research on his history. And, you know, his lifespan was pretty, pretty fantastic. Scotch review. All right. Now, I do believe we said on the last episode, heads, it's the Dalmore King Alexander III, tails, it is the Dalmore 14. So one is actually finished through six different types of casks or barrels, and the other one is just specialized in sherry casks. With that, no need to call it. Let's try not to break any glass with this silver dollar. And heads it is. Dude. No way. <laughs> Get out of here. Is it really heads? Yeah. It's not a two-headed coin, is it? No, man. They had a tail, too. No, it does. Okay. Silver dollar, right? I polished it, yeah. <laughs> is that Kennedy on there? Is that, is that, that who it is? Or is, is it Eisenhower? It is Eisenhower. It's an Eisenhower dollar as he rolls off the table. <laughs> <laughs> we want Ike. We want Ike. All right. So... We did want to Ike on this one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we really did. I think it was uh, quite perfect for a Thanksgiving celebration uh, for us, a, a slightly early Thanksgiving celebration, but well worth it. So the first thing to say about this Dalmore King Alexander III is the presentation. This is a pretty fantastic box. Not going to shy away from this. Not a box is way cool, dude. <laughs> yeah, you got the... Wow. Love the presentation. Square, the mat with the chrome. Uh, the, I love how the stag head just pops. And then you open that bad boy up. Oh yeah, that that uh, <laughs> that painting or whatever that picture is in, in there. Yeah, the fury of the stag, Benjamin West, National Galleries of Scotland. I'm just you know like, if this doesn't wet your whistle and any number of other things, you're not right. <laughs> <laughs> So with that, Alexander the <laughs> Third, I'm excited for it. I think they are too. Man, can't go wrong with the bottle. <laughs> can't go wrong with the box. Oh, oh, maybe not. You can still maybe see my head a little bit. Can't go wrong with the box. 
This is a pretty fantastic it, box. It really it, is. It really is. It's uh, definitely dominant to this situation. The bottle itself, as you mentioned, chrome label, chrome stag. I'm calling it chrome. It may just be polished metal of some other type. Chrome works for me. Um, much like the McCallum, the Dalmore comes with their hologram label. Man, we should go into some history before I open this because this is a special scotch well i mean as far as i remember we've talked about the history once before in some of our earlier episodes but it was founded uh founded way back in like what 1263 um at that time uh king alexander the third uh was basically uh saved by the chief of clan mckenzie <laughs> Uh, as he's getting attacked by a stag or, or something like that. And then um, that's how they came up with the emblem, right? Because uh, King Alexander III said, here, this can be you guys' uh, emblem with a 12-point stag. Um, is that kind of like what you're going after? That's the basic, their grant from the king to use the stag. The distillery itself was uh, built uh, or I should say they became owners of the distillery in 1867. So the Dalmore Distillery, uh, the descendants of the clan, became the owners in 1867. And I guess over 100 years ago, they had like a special like relationship that they got with uh, the Gonzalez Bias um, Sherry um, group. Yes. And so they're the only ones who actually get to use their casks, right? If yeah, I, they I mean have sole rights to those casks. And uh, one of the things that's you got to understand, if you don't know much or anything about sherry, um, it is often aged for quite some time, much like many fine liquors. And with that, uh, some of their sherries are aged 30 plus years in those casks. And those are the ones that Dalmore takes and uses for their special spirits. And another thing here to note about the uh, about the Dalmore here is uh, they are actually going under uh, construction right now. And uh, they're, they're currently not doing any tours until 2024. So if you're curious about it, if you want, if you do go to Scotland and you want to take a tour of that distillery, uh, you will have to wait until 2024 to do that. However, they do have a, like a waiting list. So you can like, uh, I guess, uh, sign up on a, on the email saying that you're interested if you want to go in 2024. Did you uh, say what the uh, six different casks were? I have not. Do you want to jump in? No, no, go ahead. All right. So with this, it is initially matured in white oak, ex-bourbon casks, so American casks. The liquid is apportioned there afterwards between small batches of ex-bourbon casks, Matasalam, Salem, Sounds, you know, Olorosa, <laughs> sherry casks, Madeira, barrels, Marsala casks, port pipes, and Cabernet Sauvignon wine barriques. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> yeah, this one's going to be dangerous. So when nobody hears from me tomorrow, do not be afraid. I had a great <laughs> night and a great life. Life is great. If you're drinking the Tom or King Alexander III for your Thanksgiving celebration. People should be hearing that from me tomorrow morning. <laughs> I, have, I have to have to be places. <laughs> I do too. In the bottom of this <laughs> bottle, we are going to open this up. 
Um, Dalmore always does a wonderful job. Like I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a Dalmore bottle that wasn't done well. Uh, foils that weren't done well. Um, the holograms, the stags on the front. Um, it's we, we got to make sure here. Real cork, but I'm a little worried. I think they went plastic on us. Uh, plastic on the on the cap. Yeah. But we're gonna give them. Nine out of ten for the stag on the head. All right, stag on the head. It's a stag night. <laughs> Is anyone getting married? We need a stag party. <laughs> if a drop of this falls on the table and you see me licking upon it, do not be afraid. <laughs> it's okay. I just could not let one drop. Ooh, I like waste. this dark. Oh color. damn! Arak <laughs> Allah. Uh, I'm actually really excited to try this. <laughs> you and I both. All week, all week, I was like, man, why does he have to flip a coin? Can we just do that one? <laughs> oh. All right. A couple things to remember with uh, Thanksgiving. Make sure you appreciate things like fine-ass scotch. <laughs> Life is great. Life is great. Cheers. Cheers. Warp speed. This Dalmore Alexander the Third is incredible. <laughs> I like just to start off, right? We've always talked about like how we like a certain type of color to the scotches that we drink, and really, I'm I you know I I don't. It's been a year since we had the McAllen number six, but honestly, I think this might be darker than that one. And uh, this has a nice, <laughs> good dark amber color to it, which obviously I think uh, this does play from like the. Uh, the Bordeaux uh, like oak chips that are being used in it, as well as like uh, the the sherry casks and their ex bourbon American ex bourbon casks and stuff like that. And so that charred oak from that um, is definitely uh, you see it prevalent here in this color, this dark amber. And uh, I think with that, it helps bring out some like so many like flavors and complexities to this scotch. That it is, it is a really, a, it's a phenomenal scotch. And uh, I think it's definitely worth every penny if you can uh, get your hands on a bottle. Or two. <laughs> or two. <laughs> uh, with that being said, um, the aroma uh, that I'm picking up here is I'm getting like raspberry um, along with some orange, orange zest and some nuttiness. Uh, and there's like, I know you said this before, but how does creamy have a smell? Because it has a creamy smell to it as well. And I just don't understand, like, how, like, when you smell something, like, that smells creamy. Because, like, I don't know what creamy is supposed to smell like, but that's what it smells like. <laughs> and uh, um, I'm also getting, like, hints of a, of a tropical fruit in there as well as rose petals. I think I'm getting, like, a little bit of, like, a rose petal type of smell and uh, aroma in there as well. And not to be let down just by from the aromas I'm, I'm picking up from this wonderful scotch, but I'm also like on my palate, I'm picking up like a creamy vanilla with sweet berries, grand, like a Grand Marnier oranginess. Like, like, like I know in the, in like in the notes there, it says like there's like orange zest from them, but it doesn't taste like normal orange zest. It almost tastes more along the lines that you get from a, from a Grand Marnier when you add like, 
you know like how when you get like a really good margarita and then they use us like a splash of, of grandma <laughs> yeah the grandma yay in it i mean that's that's where it's at i mean that's like it has that kind of like that same kind of orangey flavor mm-hmm. uh also with like hints of almond i'm getting like that hint of mm-hmm. almond and i think mm-hmm. that's where that smell mm-hmm. of nuttiness i got from originally from the nose uh, and then on the finish <laughs> um the finish here i'm getting like a slight cinnamon with caramelized orange and uh hints of ginger there because like there's that spiciness but it's not like it's not like a heavy spice or anything like that and um i really get like kind of a sweetness on my finish too and it's just a nice it's like a medium body it's like it's not like a it's not a heavy bodied scotch and it's and like last night you and i were trying um or revisiting uh was it airstone's uh sea cask cask and we were we were mentioning like i was well at least i was mentioning how like the uh the body just kind of dissipates right there at the mid palate this this does not do that this is like a medium bodied uh and you you it coats your mouth uh very well and you just you it hits the front palate it hits the ba- uh, mid palate hits the back palate the finish and uh wow i really like i do i i thank you for like uh um throwing this up as one of the options here and uh i I really can't thank you enough for that because this is this is a treat it really is and this is a scotch once again i would probably hoard (laughs) uh and like center time (laughs) and and that's like that's hoarded for me and good friends who would enjoy the scotch um but this is also one if i'm going to like a like a black tie affair or like a really nice like gathering at someone's home this is a bottle I could definitely take there and share to, uh, you know, not you know to not be outshined by somebody else there. You know, this is a this is a this is a decent bottle that you can definitely share with, uh, with that type of like if you want to hobnob and like rub some elbows, uh, elbow, elbows and stuff. But you know, if I'm gonna go like smoke cigars, with buddy, like just like my like like uh, you know average Joe buddies in uh, <laughs> or play poker night. No, I'm not taking it to that. <laughs> not at all. Uh, it's definitely going to be just for me, or you know, or a couple of close friends that uh, that that could appreciate a, a very fine scotch, or to a, like a high end uh, affair. Uh, this is definitely a, you know thumbs up. I know you said it's like in the three hundred dollar range, uh, and it's worth every penny. It really is. So if you do have the opportunity and you see this out there, I highly recommend getting it. I, I think this is the first time I've ever been in a loss for <laughs> words with a scotch. Um, it is definitely the first time ever I have felt underdressed drinking a scotch. <laughs> I really, if you do, I really feel underdressed, <laughs> which is, I always dress down from what you dress anyways, but yeah, even more so here. I feel like this is, this is, this is a tuxedo scotch. This is definitely, um, something, as you mentioned, you bring out for great friends, um, special events, uh, and everyday occasions like for us. So, <laughs> right. um, really, truly almost at a loss for words. So you got to go back to the sex tuple wood aging processes used for this scotch. So you've got your, um, Ex bourbon casks, essentially from Kentucky. You got America in there. You've got your 
Matusalem Oloroso Sherry Casks, um, your Madeira Barrels. Uh, so you've got Spain in there. Um, you got your port uh, and your Cabernet Sauvignon. International orgy. Yeah, this is this is something that's very special. Um, and the one thing I forgot to mention earlier is that all of those are then brought together again in a sherry butt to harmonize the flavors one last time. Um, starting trying to not get off track about how amazing this scotch is for me right now. The color. This is a summer dream. I'm talking about you went on a two-week vacation to places like Spain and sat on a nude beach and you come out a little burnt. This is beautiful. The color is amazing. Definitely inviting and enticing. Man, you get to the nose and the nose is enthralling. I cannot. Tom Ford needs to partner. Ooh, with the Dalmore here and make his next cologne, I think. <laughs> uh, if you haven't heard, and this is a name, not just a curse word, uh, Tom Ford makes a fragrance and a whole line of products fucking fabulous. And that is what this scotch is. Ultimately, it is amazing. Um, so that's not me cussing. That's me just, you know, reading a name off of a Tom Ford fragrance, by the way. Both men and women love to wear it. You go from this beautiful color on the nose for me it is special because it is that creamy berry scent right off the bat and mine is kind of along the lines of raspberry maybe a hint of blackberry and black cherry so definitely darker berries for me i'm guessing that's coming from the co- the cab oh, um, on the palate there is immediate orange citrus zest but again they have managed to make this zest creamy so it's not pungent like lemon zest on a risotto it is creamy like orange zest on the perfect dessert um, on that medium to dark chocolate cake with a little orange zest on it um, just to spice it up and that is a part of what's in here is that chocolate it's hidden it's layered so is vanilla not the cheap vanilla the vanilla bean uh, mild hints but absolutely prevalent and then you mentioned this you get that almond flavor um and all along you know this is a malt (laughs) like there is absolutely malt there um you can hints of barley fantastic the finish at first i couldn't figure out what it was because it almost sounds offensive to say but on the finish so you go from this beautiful color to an inviting berry creamy uh, hint of chocolate and vanilla nose those flavors all transcend and in comes the Gramenier orange that you mentioned in the palette um, coming through with malt and almonds and in the finish and it is so amazingly layered hints of white pepper and one of my all-time favorites oak um not 
too dry, but that creamy flavor that coated the tongue is now going dry enough where you know that this is oak and it's white oak um it's it's absolutely finishing this roller coaster joyride that doesn't necessarily go and need to be the fastest and the tallest roller coaster just the best is something i would absolutely take to i mean if, if i'm going to a bachelor party you're, you're one of my five friends if uh uh you know this is something I'd share with my father. This is that special. Something I share with those five friends. Noah, I'm absolutely sharing that and this with you for Thanksgiving. This is our Thanksgiving episode. And uh, this is much like the McAllen edition six a year ago. This is worthy of this holiday. Uh, it's more than worthy. I agree with you, though, unless it's like a very special kickback poker party this is not coming along with me um <laughs> if this is one where you bring a lady and she's wearing uh maybe a uh, jessica rabbit dress or something fantastic and i'm wearing a suit um yes this is then then this comes along because that's a night you never want to forget and unless you lose the poker game <laughs> It's time for our shout outs. First shout out. All right, Aiden. Cheers. Um, awesome job, young man, making the JV team this year, your sophomore year at Cherokee Trail High School. That is fantastic. Second shout out. And this could really, uh, interestingly enough, go on forever because there's a lot I'm grateful for and a lot of things I'm proud of. Second shout out, Mila. Awesome job. Um making it happen for yourself flying over to la seeing post malone in concert with your friend and then also being mature enough to come back and let your brother know man you wish he was there next to you and that's a pretty fantastic thing so i'm also uh, that's a good shout out to her as well because mila that's you're, you're there um you, you've made it pretty far when you're couple year younger brother is someone you'd you'd want to go to a memorable concert a lifelong memory that is amazing uh i wonder why she didn't wish i was there <laughs> might have gotten a little too loud i'm a lot of fun maybe <laughs> um last one is we've cinched it all up pretty much and truly now uh red bull max for stop an awesome job another great year former the one world champion um it was a fun year to watch the races. It was an interesting year. Although I do wonder with everything that happened in the last couple of races, how the true unfold will come next year when you might be leaning on your own teammate wanting a couple extra points. Um, you know, obviously I have the, the normal ones of like, I'm, I'm grateful for my job and the position that I have, my family and my friends uh just kind of get that out of the way real quickly like you know there's like as you said there's like too many to list there uh but hopefully all of you know that i, I am truly grateful for all of you um to really step into like what my real true shout outs are for this uh and not those aren't true ones um but uh, the ones i like to share here on the show is first and foremost i'm grateful for you uh for uh once again um taking the leap of faith or not even the leap of faith, but just, uh, <laughs> well, maybe it is, or maybe it's just the courage to like do this venture with me. Uh, cause I was looking for someone to, to jump into a podcast with. And, uh, and so I'm, I will always be grateful for you, uh, for jumping in with this. 
uh, this venture with me. Um, I'm super grateful for all the people who like all of our, our audience, our listeners and the viewers that we have, uh, you know, we, we did this, you know, this is something like that we both enjoy. Um, and, uh, the, being that, you know, there's people out there who like listen to us and, uh, and, and watch us. I, I think that's phenomenal. If you just like, if you watch us for a few minutes or if you watch us for a much longer period of time, I think it's incredible that there's people out there who are, who are willing to do that. So thank you to all of you. I also want to thank, uh, this is a new one here. We never had this before, but thank you to the one Russian person who listens to us. <laughs> I don't know how long you listen to our show, uh, but it did pop up in one of our, uh, in one of our stat categories that someone from Russia listened to us. So it's kind of interesting that we're kind of, you know, reaching out there and someone's listening to us. And, you know, I, I have no problem with anybody from uh, throughout any part of the world. We're all humans. We're all here to live. And I think most of us want the same thing in life. We just want to be left alone and live our, and live our best lives, you know. I want to thank the guy who created heated steering wheels <laughs> and, heated, and heated seats. Because, you know, like... In, like here in Colorado, it's, it was it's been cold the last like a couple of days here in this past week, and getting in the car when it's like you know eleven degrees outside and you have a heated steering wheel or heated bucket seats, you just kind of melt into that chair there, and you just like it. It's I don't know, it's a great feeling having that those heated bucket seats with the heated steering wheel. That and, and you know like you know for many many years we've probably all survived without anything like that, but it is kind of a nice luxury to have. Uh, so I just want to thank that person or people who created that. I'm not against organic or all natural or any of that, <laughs> but my only get it together is for the guy who goes and spends $200 on that turkey for Thanksgiving. <laughs> like, what are you getting out of a super lean, organic, free range turkey that you don't get out of a butterball? My get it together here is for the Denver Broncos. Oh no! Like here, you you basically like sold out your uh, your future to pick up Russell Wilson, giving up two first round draft picks, two second round draft picks, and some other draft picks. And then you get this new coach who's supposed to be this offensive whiz, and you are terrible. Restaurant. We went to the one and the only Olive Garden. <laughs> <laughs> this one in particular in Highland Ranch at County Line and University. Um, interesting area. We went on a night and there was no wait, which was interesting. I visited this location previously. There was a wait in the past. Uh, I don't know if this is the economy or something else is changing. Uh, the world is definitely changing, but um, the restaurant was scantily clad with guests. Nah, so we went in and we went with it pretty simple. Uh, we wanted something that was decent food it's a cold week here in colorado wanted something that was decent food i don't think either of us would consider this super high-end italian dining but it was good and it was actually kind of fun so we started with a nice chianti uh, chianti fava beans and some brain uh, no, <laughs> sweet breads so i started with a nice chianti and then i we both, well, I had 
the soup and salad. And the soup of choice for me was the gnocchi and chicken or chicken and gnocchi, which I thought was fantastic. Honestly, for $12.99 soup and salad, uh, breadsticks, of course, it was a value meal. And I was not let down though. You know, when uh, your half of a bottle of inexpensive wine costs more than your meal, you're, you're probably getting off pretty cheap. <laughs> Definitely. How about yourself? Um, you know, here's the thing. Uh, when people like uh, go to review restaurants, I don't think many of them really go to review like too many like um, like chain restaurants or even fast food restaurants, and probably for a reason. But the nice thing about uh, a chain restaurant is typically you know the quality of food you're going to get, and you know kind of like what to expect when you see like an Olive Garden. It's they're all pretty much pretty similar how they're set up and how they look when you go inside of a uh into an olive garden so it does give you that kind of warm familiar feeling going into the into the restaurant and like you i did get the uh soup and salad i'm a huge fan of their soup and salad i just love the salad dressing and my usually my soup of choice is the toscana that has like little uh, pieces of italian sausage with uh, potato and the one thing I did notice between my soup and your soup, because I got the second go around the soups, I got the same one that you did, which is that chicken and, and no, chicken and gnocchi, right? Yep. And uh, the chicken and gnocchi saw, uh, soup is a lot more thicker and creamier, where the uh, Toscana is more brothy. And um, so I think if you're looking for a soup that's like, uh, you know, a, like a comfort food, uh, but if you're looking for more brothy one. I think the Toscana is is a better way to go. But if you're looking for something something a little bit more hearty, I think that chicken and gnocchi one is is a better option. But um, in any case, the uh, salad it never lets you down. No, the soups don't let you down, and the service you know in this particular one. Sometimes when you go to chain restaurants, service can be really spotty or really terrible. Uh, but I thought our waiter did a fairly decent job. He wasn't like a great server. But he wasn't a ter- he wasn't he wasn't a terrible server, so it didn't take away from the experience either. So obviously they spent some time with their training staff to make sure that they were competent and they did their job decently. So it didn't like it didn't add to the visit, but it didn't take away from the visit. So um, that's something that's really nice when you go to uh, to a restaurant as well. Um, you know, I guess star wise or whatever. Or point wise, you know, the food is, is what you expect. I mean, you know what it is, you know what to expect. I enjoy the food there. I'm gonna give it a seven. The ambiance, it is what it is. I'm gonna give that a six because you know, there's some there's some Italian restaurants that are way nicer, there's some that are way, way worse, but I think it's above average, so I'm gonna give it a six. And as far as like the service. I'm going to give that about a seven. Like I said, there's nothing there that like uh, put it above and beyond, but nothing that really took away from it either. So I'm going to give that a seven. And would I go take a, a first date there? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it was like something kind of like uh, nonchalant and I wasn't really like into the girl, but I was like, yeah, I'll go on a date with Just you. Just trying to get into the girl. Yeah. <laughs> then, yeah, then I mean, you know, maybe I would take her to like something like that, but that's not really the typically the place I would want to go to. Now, if I lived in like a small town, like in uh, 
let's say like when I used to live in St. George, there's not a whole lot of options out there. I mean, there's some couple of nice places, like, but they're like really nice. And if you're kind of looking for something in between, like really nice and, and like a better than bad, that you know, then maybe sure, okay, Olive Garden. But like in a, in a large metropolitan area like Denver, prop, that's a no. Uh, can I, would I meet some? Would I meet a friend there? Um, if we're just gonna like, if we're catching up on old times or something, sure, maybe. Um, you know, I it's something I would you know I'd go there just if I want something that uh, is that, that I want something that's decent and something reliable. That's the, that's the reason why I would go there. And if I'm really craving soup, like I like like I do during the winter time, <laughs> that's another reason why I'll go there. So overall, I'm gonna give it about I'm gonna give it a six point five, and um, it is what it is what it is. It's what you expect, and it's reliable. All right, I'm gonna start my final review of it uh, with a point a star scale, and I think this is <laughs> important and fair to do as well. So you have your one star restaurants, which I would say most likely are your Taco Bells or your McDonald's, your fast food. Um, you have your five star restaurants, which for me would would be Il Mulino, Las Vegas, Delmonico's, your steakhouses, always. Um, some of these super fine restaurants. Um, this is somewhere in between. I'm going to say right around the three-star range. It's not fast food, but it is good food. And uh, so for me, the star is just falling in the mid-restaurant tier. It's in that three-star range. Um, the food for me, what I had this evening going in for soup and salad was an eight. Like the food was fantastic for a three-star restaurant for me. Um, and part of that is also it was consistent. I go in, I get this salad exactly like I expect with as much cheese, freshly grated on top as I want, freshly ground black pepper. Here you go. Um, same thing with the soup. Uh, the gnocchi and chicken soup was fantastic with a little bit of fresh ground Parmesan or freshly grated Parmesan, fresh ground black pepper, and just a touch of salt. That yeah, was absolutely divine. Um, value wise, absolutely a nine. So we're talking about a $12.99 meal uh, in a three-star restaurant. For me, that's fantastic. I can't get out of Taco Bell, a one-star restaurant, for the same and be as full as I was for that price. The breadsticks, again, uh, you get what you expect, which is high-quality food for a very low price. Now, that being said, I didn't have one of their $25 meals. I don't know that the score would be anywhere near as high with a $25 meal. Um, with the atmosphere, the ambiance, this is, again, it's that mid-tier. It makes sense. It's a seven. The service, I agree with you. The guy was good. He was not great. And that's where it gets really tricky, too, is because in that mid-tier, what do you expect? Um, you're tipping 20% on a $30 meal with wine. Um, so you're, you're giving the guy five, six bucks. And what do you expect for five or six bucks? I think he delivered with that, but it wasn't what you really want for that five or six bucks, which may have had me tip him eight or $10, which is the fun and the sexy. Uh, and with that, I mean, if I brought a girl there, is he making her feel comfortable? Um, I already feel comfortable, but 
if I'm there with a friend, is he making them feel comfortable? Or my kids, would he make them feel comfortable? And I don't know that our particular waiter would do that. I don't know that um, the three waiters I saw in our section would do that. Um, so overall service for me, again, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't great. So it's a six. Um, environment again, you know, seven. Would I take a first date there? Not if I'm trying to impress, but if I'm just going to meet someone, I actually would. Um, Value-wise, it pays to go there, especially during lunch, um, catch up with an old friend. It's a place you can go on a cold winter day and there is no restaurant seat by the front door. They're smart about it. The only ones by the front door are those waiting to be seated or the hostess. So you don't go in like you do even in Ted Montana Grill and go get a seat not far from the the front door and every time someone comes in on a cold winter's day when it's 20 degrees outside all of a sudden your steak went from warm to cold and it's like it's over at that point um meal ruined i remember the little italian place in parker <laughs> that was exactly what happened um so overall for me the restaurant was um because of value which is was uh, man value has to be a nine again the price was unbeatable um overall uh, for a three-star restaurant this was an eight would i go there over taco bell yes if i'm trying to impress or have a great meal am i going there no uh, but for all, overall it was fun am i drinking this at Olive Garden? Nope. <laughs> I think uh, there. the one thing I would say is don't go looking for an impressive wine list, but you won't be disappointed if you're looking for a basic one. All right, so Hitchcock, and with this, it was just watch a couple Hitchcock movies, uh, study Hitchcock just a little bit, and what do you think? Uh, and Hitchcock was an interesting character in a time of movies where he started directing... 20s and 30s with silent films more in the romance or comedy line. Um, ultimately, his films did get sound. And then he transcends from this romantic comedy set of movies, um, which he only directed. He didn't write any of, I think, the first 12 to 15 movies he directed or not he not that he wrote any of them but he didn't produce them and then he gets into the produ production business produces and directs some of his movies in the mid to later portion of his career and ultimately finishes it not producing but just directing these films uh, the films he's most known for are from the 30s the 40s, um, the 50s, and then, of course, you've got Vertigo, which often is considered his number one movie, and American, or not American, but just Psycho, uh, which is usually considered his number two, um, a, a really long lineage of movies. A guy was born in 1899, died in 1980, so he's a little over 80 years old, um, 81 years old, was married for 59 years before his wife passed. What a great life though um he had a pretty fantastic life and a very interesting one yes he definitely did have an interesting <laughs> life and this is where you come in <laughs> i, I kind of figured that was my cue but uh you told me some interesting facts i did not know earlier and i'm like damn son no wonder the guy wrote psycho <laughs> or not wrote directed psycho <laughs> all right so a little bit of a, a little bit more about his uh his history here is that alfred hitchcock um when he was growing up uh, his mom used to have him stand at the foot of her bed. <laughs> That's uh, so messed up, man. <laughs> and he would have to tell her 
all the bad things he did that day and every sin that he did she would lecture him on every single one of them every night he had to do that and then once a month his dad used to send him to the local police station with a note and he would have to sit in the jail for a period of time so that way he knows this is what bad people get and that was like that was that was his life for a while, and then after he uh, got a little bit older, he went to a, Jes- a Jesuit school, and the priests there and they had like a terrible reputation of being evil, and he got to experience it firsthand because <laughs> he went to that school that he dreaded and that he would have to go to, and when he went there, these priests if if you screwed up. They wouldn't like punish you right away. They wait till the end of the day, so that way you have to sit through all the classes, knowing your ass is going to get kicked at the very end. Kneel and- now, <laughs> get ready. <laughs> that's what you do at a pew, right? You kneel. <laughs> right. So, uh, so that's kind of like his like that. That's his like youth. Then from there, he's like the youngest of all of his siblings, and uh, he found out that his dad had passed away. And that just left his mother. And his other siblings uh, basically abandoned the mother. Uh, They're like, we don't want to have anything to do with her type of thing. And so it was left upon him to uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, kind of provide for his mom. And when he did that, he was like, uh, he went to, I guess he was like a clerk or something like that. And he saw that Paramount Pictures was going to open up a studio and do filming in England. And when he did that, he actually, and this is like during the silent film era, and he was like a huge movie buff. And so he actually created his own like uh, cue cards or whatever, like that you have for the silent movie theaters. And he submitted it to Paramount and Paramount at the time. And he didn't know this. They were actually hiring. So they hired him, and that's how he got his foot into the movie industry. And from that point, he got he built up some like uh, he like participating in writing some of the movies. He participated in a little bit of the directing, a little bit of the acting, a little bit of like doing the more cue cards and that type of stuff. So he really got his like foot in the door by making these cue cards, sending it to Paramount. Out of the unbeknownst to him, they were hiring. He got hired, and then they just kind of, you know, they kind of got him involved in all aspects of the of movie making with the lighting and all that other stuff as well. Uh, that's kind of the background I have right there. Yeah, with his birth again, born 1899 in London, so United Kingdom, um, passed in LA here in the United States of America. And one thing I just gotta say is. Different glasses produce different notes. Take the nose of this scotch from that glass. I have not drinking from it yet. Oh, my God. Oh. Wow, it's so much more perfuming. It's amazing. It's, it is. It is profound. So, uh, sorry, we're going to go on a few tangents during this trip. I'm sure we usually do. Um, known to have directed 52 feature films. Pretty dynamic. That's a lot of movies in a very fruitful life. Thinking about the stories you told really tells a lot about potential reasons why he was great at the movies he directed. Most of his movies, <laughs> dude, 
<laughs> there is a woman, and and I'm not gonna I'm go into all the details that you did some research on, but there is a woman that either undoes a man, whether he's the good guy or the bad guy, um, undoes a man. There's usually some sort of jail involved. <laughs> He's like, Dad sent me to jail once a month when I was growing up. I got this. I know exactly how to paint that picture. <laughs> um, but yeah, really, the mom thing is just twisted. Um, and then also, he mentioned the rest of his kids abandoned her, the mom, and he's the one who uh, set forth and did the honorable thing to take care of his mom. Not always the smart thing, but did an honorable thing to take care of his mom. I might have been one of the other kids who's like, yeah, mom sent me at this well, end of her bed. I'm like, peace, mom. <laughs> Good luck. And I don't think he actually stayed with her the whole time. I think that was up until he got into the movies, and then he moved to uh, Hollywood. I think she stayed in London. But he had the, at that point, I think he had the money to like have someone watch over her because when he was in Hollywood, he uh, uh, ended up getting a notification that his mom had died. So I think up until the point he actually joined the uh, or went to Hollywood, um, he did watch after, but then he had the money to take care of her from afar. Dude, I, I get it. So one child, they had one child, he and his wife, who were married for almost 60 years, had one child. Uh, Pat is her name. Alfred Hitchcock was not a tall uh muscular gentleman like some of them today uh he was a standard five foot seven bald-headed man most of his life um and one thing he's known for uh back in the day in in ultimately he's kind of hollywood uh 30s 40s 50s as he wrapped up i think uh psycho which is his last well-known at least directed feature was 1960 vertigo 1958 but in those time periods when everyone else had maids or cooks or servants he um with his wife they changed their house layout so they had the open kitchen slash dining room and they could had a bar and they had guests and he would cook and prep and create the meal with his wife even when the guests were there and i really have a lot of respect for that um i think it also tells quite the tale of he was looking for a partner uh, like I, I understand the guy was a total a hole <laughs> in most cases but with his wife hopefully not the case but nonetheless he had a partner he worked with her and just like he did in the movies he was the director um he was the producer a lot of times and he did the same thing at home even with guests and emil he directed and produced it yeah and he um uh, with his wife he that was one of one of his major uh confidants and uh, he used like she helped him out a lot with like tossing ideas back and forth and being a soundboard for him uh, as he was creating some of these movies. And I know like in his, like when he was directing, there's notes here saying that he wasn't very sociable with like the cast and stuff and during the actual like directing sessions. However, he did have a practical joke side to him and he actually made a bet with one of his cameramen that he said like, oh, you can't stay here overnight and I'll bet you a week's worth of wages. And so the cameraman's like, oh, heck yeah, I got this. And he ended up like, like basically chaining himself up to the cameras. So like he wouldn't go home. And what Alfred Hitchcock did is gave him a cup of tea with a laxative in it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and bid him fair and bid him good night and left the studio. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> it's messed up. It is messed up. Kids do not for those of you youth watching this show, do not do that to your friends. We do not condone altering the uh contents of a, of a getting together body noises. <laughs> Uh, so I, I, since we're talking a little bit more about his uh, personal life there, um, did you want to go somewhere else with that? No, I, I just, I, one thing I do also want to emphasize is he definitely had a love hate relationship with food and, and with, and with cooking. And, uh, with that though, one thing he could not stand was cold prepared meats so we're talking about turkey or chicken or any of these other meats when that got cold he was done with it now he would eat cold foods but his meats in particular his roasts or his uh, roasted meals often needed to be hot uh fresh prepared and of course man of course i'm sure they were delicious the, the guy was an artist although you would not want to serve him eggs yeah a, a statement from him on breakfast, I'm frightened of eggs. Worse than frightened, they revolt me. That white, <laughs> that white round thing without any holes. Have you ever seen anything more revolting than an egg yolk breaking and spilling its yellow liquid? He yeah, did he, not like eggs. Yeah. Now, I'll say he absolutely did when he filmed Psycho. But <laughs> with that, uh, that's the in. Now, the out. He was the first director, producer, film um that had a toilet in it. It's, it's, it's like literally the you had the first film that had a flushing toilet in it as a part of the picture. Psycho. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. And he actually part of the whole body and in and out piece was the blood going down the drain in Psycho. Okay. That makes sense. That kind of brings up that egg yolk. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> And while we're still on his personal life here, did you know his favorite movie is Smokey and the Bandit? That's a pretty great movie. <laughs> it is. So but he it says here that he actually watched Smokey and the Bandit at least once a month, and that was actually the very last film that he watched before he died. <sighs> Mine would probably be closer to like Casino Royale or John Wick, but <laughs> Smokey and the Bandit's good too. <laughs> <laughs> I got all kinds of notes here. Like I, I did some research. Yeah, there. no, it was it was uh, for me. It was an interesting topic because at first I was like, okay, we're gonna watch two movies, pick two movies, watch them. Let's talk about. It. Let's talk about Hitchcock. And the more I watched of his movies, the more I learned to appreciate uh, this gentleman who produced movies without any special effects. So the acting was acting. The the scenes were scenes. The sets were sets. And it was fantastic. It actually made me respect his work so much more. Um, and he is considered one of the most influential persons in all of cinema. Uh, yeah, he definitely is. And um, the, one of these sheets of paper, and I don't know which one it is, but there was a reason why he hired. Um, oh, here it is. 
He preferred <laughs> he preferred casting major established actors with whom the audience were familiar with, so that way he could actually spend more time and shift most more of his focus on uh, to concentrate on the plot and building the story. So I think there's a reason why, like when you see his see his like the actors in his movies, Cary Grant, Cary Grant, uh, <laughs> three times, yeah, uh, Grace Kelly, uh, Ingrid Bergman. Uh, he had some like well-known actors and actresses uh, playing for him during that time frame, and um, there's that movie uh, Thirty Nine Steps. Right, you were watching that the other day, and I made a comment to you about like, does all he do is hire blondes? <laughs> and you're like, no, no, no. He he hired Bergman, Burnett. <laughs> yeah, he said that. And then I find this little this little factoid here is that. He prefers to hire blonde actresses because blondes make the best victims. <laughs> They're like virgin snow that shows up the bloody footprints. And he also frequently used close-up shots of women's hairstyles. And if you really do watch, uh, like I know um, you and I watch I Confess together. Um, separately, we watch uh, Dial M for Murder. And uh, you watch, I know you watch 39 Steps. I watch part of 39 Steps. And he does. He really does focus on the uh, the hairstyles of all of these uh, actresses. And um, there was something I was going to say. Of, oh, uh, with Dial M, for, uh, Dial M for Murder, he was one of the first directors with that movie to try to utilize 3D. And uh, the audiences uh, in 1950 were like, hell no, we don't like 3D. Uh, but in, and really, like uh, Hollywood had struggled with using 3D technology all the way up until uh, Avatar. And that's when, uh, once Avatar came out, uh, that's when like a lot of the audience started to accept more like 3D movies. Meanwhile, Jaws 3D was awesome. Birds 3D was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, you bring up some good points. So uh, when he started directing silent movies, uh, his first one came out in 1925. They're just that. They're silent. They're comedies. They're funny. Then you get into different pieces of his life, and you consider now he's becoming a more well-known director. Uh, st started receiving all sorts of credit for his work in the field and you get to the point of and i think there is some truth to this also because the films were black and white when he started the blonde versus the brunette and when you talk about like grace kelly and these others and the blondes absolutely often played some sort of victim even though in most cases they undid a man again the man may have been the villain, he may have been the hero, but they usually undid a man. And um, the one case that of the, and I, I went on this whole Hitchcock kick, I was having so much fun. The one that we, was the opposite um, of as far as she was not so much a victim, even though in some ways you could say she was. Uh, movies back then were different. Sean Connery, for example, what he did in James Bond movies nowadays would absolutely not be acceptable. <laughs> Same thing with Hitchcock and his films. And Ygritte Bergman in Notor Notorious, uh, which is 1946, black and white again, was absolutely fantastic. But she's the brunette. So she doesn't 
doesn't play, as you mentioned, the white virgin snow. She plays someone whose Nazi criminal father has gone to prison, who is a drinker and pass, drinks to pass out and has parties and um, is known for her debauchery, if you will. And she is selected by an agent to help them bring down another Nazi. Um, ultimately, she she is a victim in, in many ways, uh, but it's because of her own jealousy and the other roles, jealousy, that that comes front. But she's used as a tool to bring down the Nazis. And here you go again. But she was a drunk at one point, and she's often considered that. And, you know, can people change? Can they not change? Brunette. Um, which movie was that one in? Notorious. Notorious. Okay. Yes. I didn't get to see that one. Um, I do know, like you mentioned, uh, James Bond there. So uh, here's another fact right here. This has to do with the uh, Hitchcockian type of theory, uh, movies here is that in North by Northwest, this is an early action film that has also been cited as the prototype of what became the James Bond franchise uh, due to the suave, womanizing leading man. It uses multiple exotic locations in a sinister but uh, charismatic villain. <laughs> So he uh, he kind of developed that and as a precursor for a lot of the James Bond movies. Yes. Uh, again, I think that you see it. If if you have it, and particularly in North by Northwest, when you have uh, uh, the, the star running away, trying to escape across Europe, really is what it comes down to, that there are scenes with James Bond where he's literally running from helicopters, running from planes. Uh, we're talking about the 60s James Bonds all the way through the very last two. Yeah, and you, we've talked about uh, Psycho. Sorry, I, like I'm not quite making uh, the bridge here, but in any case, uh, I do want to also mention this. Uh, when he filmed the movie Psycho, did you know it banned him from Walt Disney? He was not allowed to go to the Disney parks because of that filming. That does not surprise me. He also, because of that, well, I don't know if it was because of that or it was another piece. Uh, back in those days, any scene that involved kissing more than three seconds, seconds was considered scandalous. You couldn't have that in film. So he had a three-minute kissing scene in one of his movies to be like, eh, take it. That's why you mentioned that because he also, it, in one of these pieces of papers I have around here, it mentions how uh, he uh, did uh, battle against the uh, the uppers of the movie studios to push like some of these like uh, censorship type things. Yeah, he uh, was actually, I don't know if using the term a fan of sex um, for cinema is the right way to put it, but he absolutely understood that sex plays a role in cinema in every way, shape, and form. Um, so for back then, it would be not just the male sex or the female sex, but sex in general, the two getting together. And it was also something where he didn't, he didn't tiptoe around like most of the directors in those days. He walked the line um, and he had women who were in love with priests. So I confess, um, <laughs> almost undoing <laughs> him, thinking she's doing good. Or um, as uh, another case being Dial M for murder. Uh, she is 
she had an affair with her husband who finds out about it and wants to have her killed. Eh. So this is where it gets tricky. Who's right? Who's wrong? Well, I think the husband's <laughs> wrong for wanting to kill his wife. Like, just get the divorce already or whatever. Uh, and, you know, like, he, he is well, like, if you were to ask, or if I were to ask you, or maybe we ask someone, like, out in the public, what is his, what is Hitchcock known for? Like, what kind of movies? I would imagine they would say suspense or thriller movies. The master of suspense. That's what he was right. known as. And really, and you, you mentioned like in his earlier years, it was like more like the, it was like the silent comedies and stuff like that. And it wasn't really until uh, in 1929 when he filmed the movie uh, uh, Lodger. Yes. Which was about the story about the London Fog. Yes. And that's what really kind of kicked off that whole suspense thriller type of movies that he's been well known for. And up until that point, uh, he like his first two movies that he created. One of them was called the uh, something mountain. It has the word mountain in there. I forget the actual name of it. I, it's not in any of these papers that I have up here. Uh, but that is the most sought, sought after movie uh, by the Historical Film Society or whatever. Because currently there's no uh, prints available left of that. They're all gone. Yes, and that is why he's accredited for 52, for having directed 52 major movies, even though they know there was at least a 53rd. Okay. I didn't know they didn't count that. They didn't. Like, I guess like the only thing that's left are like still shots yep. of that movie. And uh, and he's like, apparently he thought that movie was a horrible movie, so he's glad that there were no prints left uh, left. Uh, on this earth that had that movie. Uh, but apparently that's one of the, uh, one of the most sought after or one of the top movies that they're looking for. And, um, we did mention 39 steps and with 39 steps, uh, <laughs> this is, uh, known as, uh, says, uh, two of his 1930 thrillers, 39 steps and the lady vanishes are ranked among the greatest British movies of the 20th century. Yeah. Two of the, yeah. yeah and that not only did the 39 steps is that up there with one of like the top movies, uh, uh from Britain in the, in the, tw- in the 20th century, but, uh, 39 steps also introduced the MacGuffin and that's part of the Hitchcockian, uh, like movie influence. And the MacGuffin is like where it, it takes something, uh, it makes it it makes the plot uh, revolve around it. So, uh, for instance, like some of the more common themes that we might know as the MacGuffin would be the One Ring from the Lord of the Rings. Uh, the One Ring is the the uh, subject that the plot moves and all the people move around. Um, in Mission Impossible, it's the rabbit's uh, the rabbit's foot for Mission Impossible Three. And then it's like the Lost Ark of the Covenant and the Raiders of the of the Lost Ark. So that's that like that's all Hitchcockian uh, uh, influence right there in movies that we now watch today. And Thirty Nine Steps was well done. The Thirty Nine Steps, much like the McCallan or the Dalmore, um, the Thirty Nine Steps was well done because it's. Unless you know the story, they're trying to figure out how these Nazi war criminals are going to get stolen information out of the country from one country to another. Um, And it starts in, of course, England, and it runs you through Scotland. And the scenery was absolutely beautiful. makes me want to go there all that much more. Um, But with that 
the secret weapon, if you will, or the way they were going to get this information from one point to another, they introduce, as you mentioned, the MacGuffin at the beginning of the movie as the main character is watching a show, and it's kind of a comedy show, but out comes the man who remembers at least 50 facts a day verbatim. <laughs> and at the end of the movie, he gets shot and killed by the man who was having him memorize all of the stolen secrets and was going to take them as the way of transportation. That's the importance of that guy. That was like the first, like, that was like the 10, 15 minutes I watched the whole movie. Like, what the hell is up with this idiot? <laughs> uh, so a little bit more here, I, I think maybe to, if you're okay with it, me yeah. int introducing uh, some more of the influences that he had mm -hmm. uh, with film and society here is that um, he's also like, because you mentioned uh, Jaws. Mm -hmm. So he is also uh, the one who brought, upon, uh, brought up upon the Dolly Zoom. And the Dolly Zoom was actually uh, first introduced in the movie Vertigo. Uh, and, and actually, and then Steven Spielberg uh, brought it back in the movie Jaws. And so the dolly zoom is a technique uh, whereby the camera moves closer or further from the subject while the zoom is simultaneously adjusted to keep the subject the same size in the frame as it zooms or, uh, or zooms in or zooms out. So that was actually the first time in Vertigo and it's been part of like movie uh, making ever since. Um, I also have a list of like five uh, directors who are influenced by Hitchcock. Um, number five, I don't know if you know. I'm sure you know this. Who this director is? I think his movies. And when I when I saw this name, I'm like, yeah. Like you watch you watch his movies, and you're like, yeah, they're just as messed up as like Hitchcock movies were in their day. And that's David Lynch. Yeah. No <laughs> shit. Yeah, you're like, yeah, no shit, right? <laughs> That's a good one. I didn't like you think you think about it after the fact. I would not have thought of that without hearing it, though. <laughs> right? Like I didn't think about David Lynch either because I'm like, what directors would really truly influence? And the only one I thought of, and this is a uh, number uh, four on the list, M Night Shyamalan. Oh, for, from the Sixth Sense on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> it's like you can see like Hitchcock influence all over in, in uh, M Night Shyamalan movies. And can I point out one other way you see the influence, particularly with that director? Sure. So you mentioned the Lodger. Um, I think it was nineteen. It was nineteen twenty six, nineteen twenty. So right around there. Yeah. Um, right in, in the late nineteen twenties. In the Lodger, Hitchcock had the first of his cameo appearances and then he followed through and was played a cameo um, in Dial In For Murder. He's in the picture on the wall. <laughs> right. So he has a cameo appearance in all of his films and M. Night did the same. Yep. And someone else who did the same and I really respected it and appreciated it. And this is going to be a very short tangent and I apologize, but I, I think this needs to be said, um, was Stanley. Yeah, he did. Stanley absolutely did that in all of his Marvel movies, and I was disappointed when I saw Wakanda Forever, and they had no representation that I was aware of. And if someone else has seen it, and I did not, please let me know of Stanley. And what I would have loved as a tribute, as a respect, uh, as anything, is even if they were going and passing by some street, and it was just some little Wally World or some like gift shop, they had a cardboard cutout of Stanley there. That would have made so much uh, impact 
for me, as far as a tribute to him, I think they should. I'm surprised done that. they didn't do that because I think like right after he died, they got like a body double to do like one or two movies. Right, but I agree with you. Just put it something out there, or even if it's like on a poster as you're driving by or something, just something that. And maybe it is in there, so maybe I just missed it. I only saw it the once. I actually thought the movie was great, um, but. I, uh, again, Stan Lee. So um, you got your two so far. Who else you got on that list? Number three, which I just mentioned, Steven Spils- uh, Spielberg with Jaws is, is what's listed here. Um, Jaws, amazing. Again, I thought Jaws was fantastic in 3D. <laughs> yeah, it does so too. Uh, next one here, and I, on top of my head, like I know that I know the I know the director's name, but I can't remember what movie he filmed. But Brian De Palma. Hmm. We might need to pull out our phones here. Brian De Palma movies. Oh, that was much faster than me doing my have the like. Oh, Dress to Kill. Yep. Yeah. Passion. Body Double. Yep. <laughs> Blowout. Carrie. Yep. Is that right? This can't all be right. I don't know. Saying here, if this is correct, he directed Scarface. Oh, that's the Carlito's yeah. way. Yep, yep. That's Mission it. Impossible. Yes. Carrie, he did do. Untouchables. Nicholas Cage, Snake Eyes. Blowout, Dress to Kill. Yeah, those were all accurate. Body Double. Um, by the way, Body Double and, uh, man, some of these movies, Dress to Kill, crazy good movies. Definitely can see just that so body double it does mention actually in here body double is very similar to a lot of ways to rear window yes oh yeah yeah, yeah. and i there's <laughs> like, i haven't seen rear window so I, I i couldn't really i couldn't really match that one there the one i will tell you is with rear window the one thing i can't believe they did even though i can't believe they did i just thought as much as it was in some ways okay in some ways it seemed wrong to me is when they remade it with christopher reese after he was crippled <laughs> i don't know why he laughed there sorry because it's messed up like okay. that's why you're laughing it's like how do you do that to the guy like you're exploiting that that's which that, hey man you were superman how do you feel about being in a remake of a hitchcock movie where you got no legs <laughs> yeah, uh, and number one up. yeah it is messed up and number one here is david fincher um he uh he did the movie uh game uh, with uh, Michael Douglas. I love that movie. Yeah, that movie's so awesome. Uh, and then there's Panic Room and another movie I totally love. Panic Room is great. Another movie I totally love, Seven. Dude, Seven has got to be one of those movies that has had the greatest impact. One of the, the probably 30 movies that have had the greatest impact on my life because it's a movie where you can't unsee it. No, you can't unsee it. And that has like a whole lot of Hitchcock and. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, stuff going on in there as well. Um, twisted as f. Yeah, it is, and that's a uh, you know that takes. I mean, there's I have a bunch of others, you know, some other stuff, but I think that kind of sums it up pretty well right there with some of the influences um, that he's done. Um, is there any other avenues you want to go with um, Hitchcock? You know, I think some some things that are just interesting, uh, and I appreciated you bringing in his childhood trauma from his mother and father because you see that in the movies. I think you do. 
I mean, a lot of his movies, and this makes sense, right? World War One, World War Two, the time he started directing uh, in the twenties, um, finishes much later. But usually, there are either Nazis as criminals or Germans as the bad guys, um, and that was absolutely true for the time. Obviously, would not acceptable today. <laughs> um, because they make great beer, man. <laughs> yeah, I think that might also have been his contribution to the war effort, though, because. Uh, uh, because of his stature or whatever, his like a height, weight, or something—it's something, something about him physically or whatever—he was not allowed to join the British Army. So maybe this was a way for him to kind of like you know contribute to the war efforts or whatever. Well, he definitely contributed to our lives in cinema. Highest respects go to him. He was knighted. Yes, he was. Um, so it's uh, Sir Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> Yeah, we're Americans. We don't care. I mean, I care. You <laughs> got to. You got to. I'm, I'm joking. I know, you, I know you are, but it's just interesting. Um, when I think of that, it takes on a whole new light with the Queen's passing, right? Like she knighted this guy. Some, some people don't think she is the proper Queen of. England. I'm not Anyways. saying proper or not. I'm just saying, like. She also had a pretty great life. I don't want to do a freaking podcast on that, though. Don't you dare. <laughs> Next week's subject, yeah. Queen Elizabeth. Ah, you goats. <laughs> <laughs> We're not doing Queen Elizabeth next. Um, but it was really fun to go through this Hitchcock piece because I really appreciate that he wasn't doing this work with green screens. He did not have the technology we have today. I loved hearing from you that he used main actors knowing they would be studied, effective, and he could focus his efforts elsewhere. And I think that that's brilliant. And I think more of us need to just in our daily lives and at work in particular, uh, especially if you're a supervisor or a manager, consider that are you using those right people for their roles and then letting them do their job. So you could get a Cary Grant in there and you could focus on them and you would probably ruin the end result. These Hitchcock actors and actresses did dynamite work. And I know when we were watching a couple of times we were laughing because we're like, oh, come on, like, really? That's how you're going to react? And back then, that's probably how they really reacted. <laughs> it was a whole different world because now we have, you know, so much more. Uh, we got. I think we're so much more tainted now that than they were back then. So For sure. <laughs> but you know, even though we are a little bit more tainted and some of the stuff you're like, oh come on, that that's a little bit too innocent there or whatever, I still think it holds up pretty well over time. I think it has held up it was entertaining entertaining. And then uh one other thing I do want to mention that I really appreciated about all but one of the Hitchcock movies I watched, and I watched, as I mentioned, nearly 10, um, is that it was almost like he had uh, some sort of clock ticking in the background, whereas you're watching the movie, you don't get to these points, and you've, you've Faced it really well when you mentioned when the cuts, when the transitions happen. Jump cuts. The jump cuts. It was brilliant how Hitchcock did that versus nowadays. Sometimes you have a jump cut and it's like five minutes later, you finally get somewhere where you're interested again. It's like, what are you doing? And with Hitchcock, as you put it, as we were having this discussion, you put it pretty well when you said he left the right amount to the imagination, but more importantly, he had faith that his viewer was smart enough to connect the dots, and it reminds me of Heavyweight, and I loved that. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you watch his movies, I think uh, he knows that his his audience were either smart enough or had enough critical thinking skills to where they could connect the dots. Whereas a lot of times, movies today, they have to spell it out for you, and uh, and so that's why you get these like these lulls in these movies. Like Hitchcock movies are like boom, 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 and I think that kind of helps with the the suspense and the thriller sense of the movies because you're never left to like. You're not like you're not brought up and and then you drop back down and you're brought up and you drop back down. Here it's like the way the pace is and the way the jump cuts happen. It kind of keeps the pressure and the uh, kind of like the uh, the nerves going all the way through the jump cuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to point out one last thing, and then I'll, I'll finish on this with Hitchcock. I made the uh, the statement here that it holds up well over time. And the reason why I know it holds up over time is from something that you said. And this kind of is like a shout out to your son, Aiden. Uh, you, you said that you and your son, and, and like you and I watched a movie with Aiden, which is I confess, and it didn't look like he was paying any attention to the movie whatsoever. Really didn't. And he wasn't even like facing towards the TV. But here's the thing. He talked to you about it. He talked to you about the priest. And he talked to you about the other movies that you watched with him. Or I'm not sure if he was really watching, but looking away, watching. <laughs> I don't know. He saw the reflection of his phone is the only way I but can. But here's play. the thing. If you have someone who's like 16 years old and he, and he has interest to talk about these Hitchcockian movies, uh, these you know that Hitchcock like wrote and directed and produced, um, which is like generations before him, it obviously holds up over time. I mean, he obviously was able to talk about it and they, and ask questions about it. And, and, and so I think that's phenomenal. So that's a total shout out to Aiden, but it's also a total shout out, shout out to Hitchcock. It's yeah. And it's a shout out to you for even choosing this topic. So I'm just wrapping. That's my wrap up for this section of, of Hitchcock. Uh, you can uh, put the final bow on that. I just uh, want to say thank you for joining me on this journey. Um, also inviting me on this long journey of the podcast, but um, joining me on this journey with Hitchcock because I think as we continue to go through times, the world, I don't know about everyone else. Man, the world has been almost too real for me the last several years to the point where I worry for the first time in my life for my kids' long-term well-being. And uh, with that... The, Hitchcock brought um, a little more reality into it and also made it okay. Uh, it, it reminded me that there was a World War I, there was a World War II, there are criminals, there are villains, there are good guys, um, there are angels, and there are demons. But with all of that, there are psychos, right? Um, with all of that, uh, you got to have a little faith. Man, put your face down, dig in, do the grind, do the work, do the time. Have faith in yourself and those you are around, you trust, you love. And, uh, you know, ultimately, it'll be okay. So thank you um, for joining me on this journey, um, for sharing this wonderful, for me, scotch. It's a phenomenal nice scotch. <laughs> phenomenal. Um, 
I guess I'll say what the next uh, week's uh, topic will be. It's going to be the best of Kevin Costner. Ooh. I'm going to have to watch some Yellowstone. I've never seen a single episode by here. It's amazing. I never, like, I've, <laughs> I never finished the first episode of the first season of Yellowstone. But there's plenty of other stuff that he has done that is that are great uh, pieces of work as well. And I know, like, for those of you who are wondering, like, why we, or at least why I'm having going through some of these uh best of uh actors or movies or directors it's i think right now um with everything that as you mentioned the world has gotten pretty real i think we need to talk a little you know i think we need to take a step back and talk a little bit about some lighter subjects and enjoy some of the things that uh you know from our past or whatever or you know like that are current um that are a little bit more fun and a little bit more to you know enjoy uh, and we'll, but we will go back to some of these more serious topics here. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure about that. Oh, uh, but that's the reason why I, I I've continued this series of best ofs and um, the uh, scotch for this upcoming week. I think will be uh, a good scotch for it. But I'm not sure if it will hold up to this Alexander the Third. I don't know. You never know. You never do. All right. <laughs> You gonna announce this? Oh, I thought you were. That's the, you're usually the Scotch guy. All right. Well, Noah has selected for episode ninety-one, the Glen Morangi Forest, and it's not just forest; it's a tale of the forest. And I think there's going to be a lot of research, a lot of fun with this one as well. Um, this. Glen Morangi, as we have talked about in the past, they cherish their water source. They protect it. It's literally kind of <laughs> in the center of a forest. Um, and they, they take great care of it. And uh, I am super excited about this one uh, because we've had some amazing trails through forests with and Glen Morangi in the and past. And if you happen to watch this on Thanksgiving when this, uh, when this is going to drop, uh, currently right now at Bevy's and Parker, it's on sale for $99. If you go to Total Wine and more and you show them the Bevy's uh, price, they'll price match. I'm just letting you guys know this right now because I'm not sure how long it's going to be on sale for because right now you can get it for $10 less than what it really than what it is at $109. Uh, and I think this might, I'm not sure if this is the second in the series. I know last year it was a Tale of Winter, which we haven't tried yet. So we might be going out of order here. Uh, but in any case, uh, I thought this would be a fun one. Um, I wanted something that would probably do uh, Kevin Costner justice. That's a great point. Some of his films, uh, and we've uh, got so many to watch. Some of them do involve quite the scene of nature. It, they do. Um, and I think... Uh, we here i'm gonna say once again uh my final for my sign off here <laughs> as always you know for those of you who watch us on youtube thank you very much we appreciate you uh your your uh, patronage here to us um <laughs> if you you know obviously youtube has some uh some some rules here so if with episode 80 to see the full one there or if we do happen to ever get censored on another episode, you can always find those full episodes over on Rumble as long as they don't uh, also uh, <laughs> suspend us on anything, which I don't think they will because they're a little bit more lenient on some things. Um, for those of you who uh, watch us on, Rum on Rumble, thank you very much. We do appreciate that as well. 
And then to all of our listeners who listen to us on on any of the uh, Audible formats, whether it be like Spotify or uh, Pandora or Podbean or Google Podcasts, there's like a bunch of them. Uh, we thank you very. We thank you a lot for listening to us. Um, you you guys have made us in the last three months. You've these these last three months have been our best months for listeners on the Audible side of things. So we greatly appreciate that, and uh, we wish you all, whether you're here in America or you're anywhere else, uh, this Thursday we wish you all a uh, happy Thanksgiving, and uh, you know life is great. Be thankful. Whatever you know the. Things that you're thankful for, be thankful for them. Because, you know, the universe or God or whatever you believe in, he, she, it, whatever, they're not going to give you more blessings if you're not grateful for what you already have. So, you know, appreciate what you have so that way you can, I guess, fill your cup more and also give that gratitude out to other people. And uh, with that, cheers, and I'll pass it along to you. Great, great thing to mention. And I think I'm going to wrap up with a couple of quick things. And I apologize if this episode runs just a teeny bit long with all of my tangents. But first of all, uh, you know, you got to think about, for me, something I'm grateful for is my inspirations. Um, And two of the biggest pieces of my life that inspire me to continue to hopefully be great to do more are my son and my daughter. So Mila and Aiden will forever be super grateful for you in my life. Um, And then you got to think about some of the other things that have had dynamic impacts on your life. Some of them um, can be mixed bags. Some of them can be negative. Some of them can be positive. But with some of those positives, um, I got to give a shout out to, um, my parents. And with that, mom and dad, should you ever watch this? I hope so. Um, realize that when I do some of these episodes like Hitchcock, I am absolutely thinking about the things we have shared about Alfred Hitchcock in the past when we would watch the birds together, Vertigo together. Um, and this is 30, 40 years ago, right? So uh, I was like this big. So maybe 30 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, maybe 10 years ago. So. <laughs> Um, I, I really appreciate all of the things you guys shared with me and I try not to take that for granted. Um, that also transitions into like love, right? And so all of the things I've learned from people like Marissa, um, who have, uh, much like Hitchcock had his wife who have shared so much with me, given me pieces. Um, you know, I, I think it's interesting because it's tough, right? She's given me things that I have absolutely used on this show. And, um, it's, how do you give someone like that the credit they deserve? You never can. Um, and then I'm going to wrap up, uh, my last one it goes to, you Noah. And with this, you you give me a lot of credit, and I appreciate that. I don't know that I deserve all of it. You gave me a lot of shout-outs is what I should say. Um, but for you, one of the pieces, I, I don't think I say it enough. But I hope you know I have your back. And should anyone have ever or ever say terrible things about you, they know I, I won't stand by that. I, I, I don't agree with that when they say something, um, you know, whatever it may be, I have your back. And I hope you, you believe that and you trust that because I know you have mine. I know that in my heart and I value that so much. And that's uh, why uh, here at episode 90, Dalmar. 
Vidal Moore, King Alexander III, is uh, only just justified for this fantastic episode. 90 episodes in, man, uh, 90 dinners and restaurants, um, 90 plus scotches, 90 plus topics, um, countless shout outs, countless get togethers, um, all of the fun and experiences we have had. I cherish, I love, uh, I appreciate, I value. Um, a lot of those words mean the same thing depending on how a person looks at them, but I absolutely do. And I thank you. I thank you. I mean, it's, it's been a wonderful journey for, I think both of us. And I love how we do these uh, smarter challenges because I, I think it helps us grow as people. And hopefully you listeners all feel the same way. Yeah. Agreed. And uh, please like, share, and subscribe, by the way. <laughs> yes. Remember, like, share, subscribe, drink responsibly. The big one there for us because <laughs> I drink and I am mostly responsible is I don't drink and drive. So don't drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Life, Life is, is great. great. <laughs> it really is great, isn't it? Really it really is. We drink and know things here. <laughs> <laughs> and if we don't know things, we're drinking and learning things Dude, here. We drink well and know things. We better be learning. We paid for a college education with this coach. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. This bitch probably used to pay for someone's like tuition. Yeah. All right. All right. I guess cheers. Yes. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving, yes. Noah. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Cheers. Scotchman. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Scotch Hour. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you have not done so already, please become a patron member with memberships starting as low as $1 a month. Thank you, and hopefully you have a wonderful evening.